0: Hey Church, welcome to our Sunday service. If you're a first-time guest with us, my name is Greg. I am one of the pastors, and we are continuing in our series, What About? Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Uh, I just want to let you know, too, we're going to have communion today, and so get those elements ready. We're not going to take a break, that two-minute interlude. We're going to go straight into communion, so I want you to know that. And then just a little bit of an update for you. Uh, At our staff meeting last week, we feel like we're moving from reacting to the pandemic over the last, what, 15, 18 weeks, to responding to a new normal. And so things are starting to straighten out. We're getting some vision and some focus for how we want to do things, and we have a planning meeting scheduled for Monday, like half the day, just to get together and think through uh, the fall and, and through Christmas. So I just wanted you to know that. A passage that kind of came to mind for me this week that, that struck me was from Hebrews 12.27. I can't remember if I read it or heard it or thought of it, but it says this, Hebrews 12.27, that which can be shaken will be shaken. And I feel like that's what's going on in our lives in our country. That which can be shaken uh, is being shaken. And the shaking going on, it would be good for us to let God have his way in our lives and in our church. Uh, There's an uprooting of things that keep us distanced from God and from one another. I think it's important for us in this pandemic moment, racial upheaval, etc., to stay humble and to stay tender-hearted as long as these issues last in our nation. And then regarding our response to the the national calls for racial justice— Uh, I want to put it simply, but it's not as simple as I'm going to say it. But what we want is for our church, Community Covenant Church, to look as much like heaven as we can. And that means that people of color coming in, not only do they feel welcomed, they feel seen, they feel heard, they feel a part. We want to begin to offer places of servant leadership uh, to people. Right now, we've got a good... um, a good mixture of males and females in our leadership uh we don't we're mostly white uh, in terms of our leadership and we want to see that change and adjust by god's grace and so that's our response is simply that we want the church to look as much like heaven as we can and it'll it'll take a little bit from all of us to do that i wanted to let you know in the fall we're going to start a series in ephesians and we were mostly planning on this before the pandemic uh, but Interestingly enough, the church at Ephesus is, is one of the first New Testament churches that was multiple ethnicities. Uh, Ephesus was a port city, and people from all over the known world gathered there. And so the church was one of the first. Antioch was really probably the first. But it was probably the first, it was one of the first to incorporate Jews and Gentiles. And so we want to go back and we want to pick out some themes of Paul that we might not have noticed before about racial justice. Chapter 2 in Ephesians certainly uh, uh, covers that. And, and obviously there's more to the book of Ephesians than racial issues. Uh, yet we, we do want to mind the vein of racial issues in the New Testament when we come across them. I want to have new eyes for that kind of thing and just bring it to light for us to consider So as we set the stage for today's passage, I'd like us to go back uh, to Matthew 6, verse 1. The passage has already been read, but we'll jump back up to verse 1 in Matthew chapter 6. This is what it says. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose your reward from your Father in heaven. Other translations, instead of the, the, the phrase good deeds, We'll use some variation of the phrase, practice your righteousness. And righteousness, if you haven't heard us talk about this before, but righteousness is really a major theme in the Sermon on the Mount. But it might be a, have a little different perspective than what you're used to hearing. Uh, it is seen primarily, righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount is seen primarily as our response to realizing the grace of God and God's invitation for us to become citizens of the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount becomes instructive for us on how God's empowering grace will reorient our lives to live as citizens in God's kingdom, which Jesus established when he came. It'll be consummated when he comes again, but it was established in his coming. A lot of people think of heaven as the kingdom but no Jesus came he established the kingdom of God he'll consummate it at his second coming and we live we've talked about this before but we live in in this tension in this in between tension the already it's already here but it's not yet fully uh consummated so there's There are different phrases that are used to describe these good deeds or acts of righteousness. One is a little more common than the other. You'll recognize it probably. The first one, spiritual disciplines, a phrase most of us have heard. Uh, The lesser known phrase is means of grace. What's a means of grace? Means of grace are the pathways that God provides to keep ourselves in the love of God. And this happens, I'm quick to say, more through surrender than it does through willpower. It's important to review these phrases, these these concepts, because it's so easy for us to fall into the trap of beginning to see these as the practices that we must do in order to please God or appease God. And that's not the point. But again, the righteousness that Jesus through Matthew is addressing in the Sermon on the Mount is more a joyful response of gratitude than a demand of will-crushing obedience. One of my mentors used to ask this question. Does God want you to try and be good? Does God want you to try and be good? His answer to that question was no. He doesn't want you to try and be good He wants you to try and be His. He wants you to try and be His. That's the difference between willpower and worship. And I would say that worship will take us farther than willpower will. And so that's the the concept in the Sermon on the Mount in regards to righteousness. It's our gracious response, our desire to worship, to serve, to please, to honor God. That's our works of righteousness. Will the will be involved or is the will involved? Yes, certainly the will is involved. Disciple and discipline come from the same root word. So in Matthew chapter six, we have four means of grace just to continue our review a little more. Generosity, prayer, forgiveness, which Frank did a great job on last week, and then fasting. And so generosity is directing our spiritual devotion outward towards other people and prayer is directing our spiritual devotion upward toward God and forgiveness and fasting are directing our spiritual devotion inward to develop um, prayerful heart callings and categories that continue to build our devotion to God so we have spiritual disciplines or means of grace that are, that are out to others, that are up to God, and that are inward towards or in towards ourselves in developing our continued spiritual practices. We need to develop all three of these, I believe, I see in Scripture, to become healthy and vital and mature citizens of the kingdom of God. And so today, as we prepare for our all-church fast, starts Monday through Wednesday. We, you know, If we break the fast at dinner, we would have dinner together, but we're not going to have dinner together, as you heard uh, in the um, announcements. Uh, so if you want to fast all through Wednesday till you go to bed and wake up Thursday, you, you could do that. So we were thinking of it as up to dinner, but it could be through dinner if you want. So um, as we prepare for the church fast, I'd like for us to consider the means of grace of fasting and so what i'll do is i'll pray and then we'll jump in and then don't forget we're gonna we're gonna move into i don't feel to be seamlessly but we're gonna move into communion from there okay let's pray together lord uh thank you for the privilege of means of grace um thank you for the privilege of spiritual disciplines thank you for the privilege of, of worship Thank you for the righteousness that you provide to us by grace. I pray that we would see and understand with greater depth and clarity uh, some of these things that we're talking about today. Uh, And we depend on you to teach us. Beyond my words, beyond the the singing, uh, beyond anything else, we need you, Holy Spirit, to teach us. So we commit this time to you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. The first thing that is obvious in the passage are three verses, 16, 17, 18, 19, wow. The first thing that's obvious in our passage is that Jesus is not teaching about fasting in this passage for today. He's teaching about how to fast. So what Jesus is saying here is, as much as possible, keep your fasting between you and God. Don't be that guy that tries too hard to look spiritual. That's that's what Jesus is saying here. And he's, he's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees who were concerned with outward appearances and weren't as concerned, necessarily concerned, with things um, below the surface that come out of the heart. And so to learn about fasted, fasting, we need to look at the at the larger context of Scripture. So that's what we're going to take a few minutes to do today. And I want to also let you know that I'm going to put a blog post with some of these same things that I'm going to talk about as well as others, a little bit more about how to prepare ourselves to do a fast, uh, to engage in a fast, do a fast, what is that? But to engage in a fast, so look for a blog post um, that'll be up probably this afternoon. Okay, Uh, learn about fasting, we need to look at the larger context of scripture. For many of us, what I'm gonna cover today will be a review, but I do hope that we can all learn a bit more about this important means of grace. And I even hope that that fasting can become uh, joyful for us uh, to engage in. And so let's begin with a simple definition of fasting. A definition would be the voluntary abstinence of our appetites and our soulish longings to develop and deepen our relationship with God. It's not just about food. We can, as we mentioned, we can fast other things. So, okay, so how do we do this? There's, there's a couple of passages that are worth going to and talking about this. I'm not gonna go to Isaiah 58, but that's probably the best, most concise instruction on the spiritual discipline of fasting in the Bible. Verse six, specifically in Isaiah 58, lists four reasons for fasting, which we'll put up on the screen. First one, to loosen the bonds of wickedness. The second one, to undo the bands of the yoke. The third, to let the oppressed go free. And the fourth, to break every yoke. Isaiah, that's Isaiah 58, verse 6. And I want you to notice something about those verses. Uh, There's a progression. Did you notice that? From from loosening to to breaking. And that indicates that to pray and to fast, it, it can take a while. It's, it's not, everything's not going to just happen at once, but, but God wants us to be persistent in our prayer and in our fasting, and it goes from loosening uh, to breaking. Uh, Isaiah 58.7 provides some really practical, hands-on examples. It talks about dividing our bread with the hungry, bringing the homeless poor into the house. That's mostly a reference to the stranger, uh, the immigrant, etc., uh, and, uh, and, and just the poor, and, and when you see the naked to cover him, and then it talks about not hiding yourself from your own flesh, which means that we are, we are to look after one another, kind of like the Good Samaritan passage in the, in the New Testament. And then Isaiah 58 verses 8 to 14 contains some just amazing promises concerning the fruits or the, the benefits of fasting. And so another one that, that I like to go to a lot, because it's, it's, it, can, it can be just so simple. And the last time we did an all-church fast, I brought this up too, so you might remember it from that if you were with us at that time. A simple, straightforward passage to help us understand fasting is found in Psalm 35, the second part of, of verse 13. So it will be Psalm 35, 13b. And this is what it says. David says, "This I humbled my soul with fasting." What's going on here? So in Psalm 35, David, uh, King David, is is crying out in this agonized intercession to God to be rescued from his enemies. And part of David's prayer, as we see here, he has humbled his soul with fasting. So, 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 what does that mean? Well, it's it's widely believed that. Our soul is made up of, of, of three parts, intellect, will, and emotions. And so what, what's going on here, if that is true, and I, I believe that it is, what's going on here is when we're fasting, what happens is we cause our intellect, our will, and our emotions to bow down. Not We don't throw those away, get rid of them, but we cause those to bow down so that the things of the Spirit of God can emerge. So, so the, the intellect, the will, and the emotions, they bow before God and the things of the Spirit arise. Um, and so we, we, we get to see more of God's heart. When we deny our appetites, when we deny our soulish longings and turn to the Lord through, through prayer, uh, through worship, through fasting, there's a, a supernatural grace that's that's released upon us. The idea in that is to set aside some regular times during a fast in order to seek the Lord, to listen, as well as to cry out for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. A lot of us were taught that kingdom come, his will be done, it is, is God coming to take us away from this mess. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying, it's uh, for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. It's, it's his kingdom would, would come and be enlarged, expanded. I think of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, um, 16, sixteen, eight. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That's his kingdom coming when people see the gospel, the beauty, the wonder of the gospel. And so that's what we're praying when we pray that uh, his kingdom would come and his will would be done. Uh, to be seen, to be experienced uh, by more and more and more people, and enhanced for us uh, who are believers. So there are several benefits uh, that may come to us through fasting, all of which affect our relationship with God. And I want to give you eight, but I, I want to say here that it's not a contractual relationship where, where you fasting, God is bound to to meet every need that you Long for, desire for, pray for, intercede for that that's not how it works i I went on a really, really long fast of, uh, well now several years ago, and uh, it was it was um, it was a long time, and at the end, you know people expected me to um, to have had this great experience with God, and at, at the end I hadn't had any really dynamic experiences with God. What I did encounter, I heard a sermon right before I ended my fast, and it was, it was a, a sermon that one of the illustrations was about a fallow field. And so what I came away from with that sermon as my fast was ending was that, that I was in some ways a fallow field, and God was re me uh, as, a, as a fallow field gets re by not being planted. And so that, that was good enough for me at the end of, again, quite a long fast. And so here, here are our eight benefits that come to us through fasting. We'll put them up on screen. I'll put this up on the blog so that you don't have to, if you're a note taker, you don't have to worry about that right now. So the first one, fasting will sharpen our focus in prayer. Fasting will sharpen our focus in prayer. After we get beyond that, the initial discomfort caused by our various addictions, right? If, if you're a three to ten coffee cup drinker a day and you say, "Oh, I'm going to give up caffeine, you know, for the next three days, the first thing you're going to have is a headache. So you're not going to be praying comfortably. But, uh, or, if you, or if you have some sugar addiction, you know, and you say, I'm going to give up sugar. Well, you, we're going to suffer through those things when we go to fast. So I, I would do it carefully. I wouldn't jump into. But fasting will sharpen our focus on prayer. The second thing, fasting will cause us to be more sensitive to God's guidance in our lives. More sensitive to God's guidance in our lives. Third one, fasting is a sign of, re- a sign of repentance and expressing to God our desire to be responsive to His will, to His will and His direction, for our lives. And then uh, the fourth one. Fasting uh, was common in Old Testament times and Biblical times when the need for protection and or deliverance was great. I think of uh, Esther uh, when when um, uh, Haman was going to kill the Jews and Mordecai and Esther called the Jewish community to fast and to pray, and God delivered them. I think of Nehemiah, when, he, when his brother came and told him that the walls had been destroyed in Jerusalem. Uh, he, he wept, he, he fasted, he prayed, he planned, and then went to meet that need. Uh, as David articulated, as we saw in Psalm 35, fasting is an expression of humility before the Lord. And then fasting is often the result of God's people seeing a need and expressing their concern. That goes back to to Nehemiah too. Uh, Nehemiah also, where he saw that need and it broke his heart. Uh, he confessed the sins of his me and my father's house have sinned. And then he went about praying and fasting and planning. Um, and that's in Nehemiah chapter one. And then uh, seven. When Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness after uh, his baptism, he was strengthened spiritually against the strong temptations of Satan. In fact, what it says in Luke 4.14 is that Jesus came out of that 40 days, came out of the wilderness, came out of the desert. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Do you want that? I want that. So fasting will help us to do that. Here's a little side note. The children of Israel spent 40 years in the desert. Uh, They couldn't get it right. They kept taking laps around Mount Sinai. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness and got it right because he's God. But his obedience launched his ministry. He came out of the, the wilderness uh, a Galilee wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then number eight, fasting can simply be an act of worship and adoration with no other purpose than to thank and to honor God, just to say thank you. I'm going to go without food. I'm going to go without a a meal. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I just want to say thank you, God, for your graciousness, your faithfulness, your provision, whatever it is. In your life, so let's talk for a few moments about uh, the many different ways to fast. And uh, there's lots of different ways to fast. And we should always say that you should check with a medical professional uh, before you decide to do any, you know, lengthy fast. Some of some of you probably need to check just to do a day or two or three. Uh, and then there's lots of different ways to fast. How can we fast? We can fast food and just drink water. That's generally called a a water-only fast. Uh, Some people just don't eat uh, don't eat food uh, but maybe drink juice. Uh, There's lots of different ways. Uh, There's a thing called the Daniel fast. I think there's a book or two or three out there about the Daniel fast. That's where you eat uh, primarily vegetables and fruit only. That can be a fast. Uh, You can choose to not eat any sugar or desserts. And after that headache, that first day or so, uh, it'll kick in if, if you have some addiction. But some, just give up sugar. I'll, I'll oftentimes give up sugar for Lent. Um, another way to fast, we can fast one or two meals a day. That's an option as well. Uh, we can fast from sunup to sundown. That's a way to fast. Uh, we can fast uh, television or social media and pray instead. That's a way to fast. That's good for people who who have um, conditions that would make it more difficult to fast. Uh, Here's an interesting one. We don't talk about this much. 1 Corinthians 7.5. Paul encourages married couples to occasionally fast sexual intercourse. Quote, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. That's a way to fast too. Uh, Before we fast going into it I, I would encourage you not to just wait till Monday morning and get oh what am I going to do I would encourage you to think about it and if you and in you, your family or whoever you live with roommates family etc or even if you live by yourself to take some time and, and think about how you want to fast um, that would be it would, otherwise it's like going to a gym and not really knowing what your workout's about and not really knowing you just kind of wander around uh, and then you go home So, before we fast, it's important to seek the Lord regarding what would be appropriate. What do you think would be appropriate? And if, uh, yeah, if you need to consult a medical professional, then I would encourage you to do that. Um, Finally, what are we fasting for? I can think of three, you know, really distinct categories for our fast. Number one would be our nation. There's a lot going on, isn't there? Uh, We have the pandemic. Um, uh, anyway I'll get back to that so the three categories we have our nation we have our church and then the needs and longings of your own family I would certainly include those into your time of fasting our nation, our church, our families those are the three big categories and so regarding the nation you know we have this pandemic almost 160,000 United States People have died, have perished. Um, there needs to be a national grief for that. Uh, it would be good to pray for the families. Uh, it, it's 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 so sad. I did some a little math, and what I found was that if you start January first, not that I, I'm not relating it to the pandemic when it started, all that stuff. I'm just saying. Every day in 2020, about 750 Americans have perished. That's what 160,000 people a few days into August uh, looks like. Coming to terms with the racial injustice uh, in our country. And again, I I want us to be responsive to that in some new ways. I want us to learn some new things. I want us to make room. Uh, I, I want us to go there. Um, there's that um, and then uh, uh, what else oh the economic instability in our nation right now uh, pray for that uh, pray for people who've lost jobs who've been furloughed uh, and then the upcoming election that's that's worth our prayer that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done and then for our church what can, what can we pray about for our church and I'll add some of this um, to and I might expand upon it uh, to a, the blog post. Certainly, wisdom and discernment in a general sense for our church, uh, and th- and then for us, wisdom and discernment more specifically to how to move forward as a church. The literature that our staff uh, has been paying attention to during this pandemic process states something like this: Every organization is now a startup. Organization. Every organization, every church is now in a startup phase. In a sense, we're replanting the church. You know what? We can't go back to the way it was. Uh, we, we have to learn how to move forward. And what's that mean? As a result of this pandemic and however long it lasts, uh, it means that we have to do some things, some new things in new ways. And as I said before, you know, I think we've been kind of wrestling and reacting to things for the last few months. And I think now we, we've kind of taken a breath. We've kind of gathered some insights and perspective. And I, I think we we are coming up with a plan, uh, which we want to invite you into as we, as we move forward. And again, we want to plan certain things through the end of the year, this, this coming week, this coming Monday. So you could pray for us, too, on, on Monday. Um, we can pray for a permanent lead pastor for a community covenant church. Here's what I would say to go back to this: before we start a search, um, we, we need to see that that our core values, that our mission, our vision, and the church needs to be reevaluated, reevaluated, and recalculated, re-presented. Uh, one of the things that I've said before that you've you maybe heard me say is that the more we get done in that regard, before we start a, a search, the higher caliber of pastor uh, will attract. So be, be praying for that. Uh, God knows who that person is, and what we want to do is get out of the way and then allow God to take us to that person. So more, more on that coming up. And then regarding your family. Oh, I forgot. I didn't see in addition to the pastor, God's continued provision for our church. Uh, I, I would love you to, to pray for that along the way. So then regarding your family, if you've got kids at home, I'd encourage you to invite them into the process. If they're old enough, um, even five, six, seven, eight years old, invite them in. And invite them to be a part of this family fast on behalf of our nation, on behalf of our church, on behalf of, of your family. allow them to help identify the needs and longings that you want to pray about, pray together as a family uh, during uh, this fast.